your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan from the heart of enemy territory in downtown Toronto alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. And today is electric. Maybe the best part of any interview we've ever done with all due respect, but Matt Cassian talking about the 2013 series against the Montreal Canadiens. Did you know that the cops came into the Sens locker room after game one and said it wasn't safe for them to walk back to their hotel? Did you know that Matt Cassian took MMA in the offseason and tried to literally squeeze Colby Armstrong's eyes out of his head? Well, all that and more coming up in part two of our interview with the former Sens enforcer and Pillsy. we got to get back to our draft rankings. We're only four days away. We are covering number eight, seven, and six before tomorrow's big top five. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Friday, October 2nd. We are well into the second wave of the pandemic, but that's not going to stop Eugene Melnick from spending millions to get fans back in the building. Yeah, look, you can't, you can't blame Eugene for not spending money anymore, eh? And uh, shout out Steve on Sands. That was a pretty good joke on Twitter. Anthony LeBlanc already doing his job by getting fans in the building. We are not talking about Ottawa Senators fans. We're talking about HVAC systems and air conditioning. Apparently, airflow in an arena where there's likely not to be any fans for a long time is priority number one for Eugene Melnick's finance spending. So, what made me sad about this is it's just like the final nail. I know we knew it was dead, but the the Sens are going to be playing at that arena for a number of years now. There will be no move downtown, and it's just sad whenever you think about it. The uh, yeah, that sucks. But, hey, it, it is good that they're spending money. They do want to have fans as soon as possible. And uh, clearly the ventilation wasn't good enough there. But that's just a quick note. There's not really much news here as we're four days away from the draft. So uh, what is good, though, is, Pilsy, have you ever had more fun recording an interview than we did with Matt Cassian yesterday? That was, that was an incredible interview. So much fun. And yeah, like you said in the intro, we originally thought, okay, we're going to quickly talk about Game 3, a bit of the Montreal series, a bit of Matt Cassian's time in Ottawa, and it was going to be a nice, fun interview. This turned out to be an extensive interview, and the detail he goes into setting up that moment of the Game 3 brawl will give you chills. And when you're thinking about that brawl, you don't really think about Matt Cassian because he's like right in the middle, and he doesn't really get stand up and fight Colby Armstrong you'll hear what he does in the interview it's it's a little different and he was trying to make Colby Armstrong a bug-eyed walrus every single question we asked him his answer begged a follow-up so I I told him initially when we reached out I was like 10 to 15 minutes well we went 32 um so we, we since we had already recorded both the front and back end of yesterday's episode the interview wasn't until later we want to get you the locked on senators podcast every single day as early as we can that's why we always record in the mornings but uh he being out in edmonton with the time change it just worked out he couldn't go till noon and man was it worth the wait so we just gave you a taste with the battle of ontario you can always go back and listen to that every day uh wherever you get your podcast you can subscribe but man today we get into the real juiciness of it 
Yeah, make, make sure, we tweeted it on Twitter, make sure you watch the video before you hear him describe it so you have an idea of the atmosphere and what's going on because he describes it so well. Well, I know that yesterday after we recorded, I went back, there's these little like 10 to 15 minute clips of every game from that series on YouTube. So I went back and I relived the entire series because it was so close, but then it ended up being a five game series where the Sens had two six, one victories, including Matt Cassian, a pair of apples in the game five clincher, which you just love to see from a team guy, just an all time great interview from Matt Cassian. I don't think we should tease it anymore. Let's just get right into part two, Pilsy. I just want to say, I thought he made a really good point about when he was saying the five guys on the ice for the Sens at that time, no one in the league could put a tougher five guys out on the ice at that time. So the fact that Montreal was deciding to challenge them didn't turn out in their favor. And let's hear all about it from the man himself, Matt Cassian. Here he is, part two of our interview with Sens tough guy, Matt Cassian. All right, well, from one rivalry to the Sens and Leafs to the other, Sens and Habs, what was the atmosphere like for that series, and specifically Game 3? Like, watching the highlights of that, the crowd is going absolutely bananas, and you got to be involved in the center of it all in that brawl. Just just take us through that scene and what it felt like. The adrenaline must have been through the roof. Yeah, well, there was a... There was a lot of buildup before that happened. Um, you know, it wasn't just like all of a sudden everything's going crazy at center. Um, you know, as you guys recall, I think it started like, first with the proximity. It wasn't like we liked them in the first place. Uh, we didn't like the way that they played. They had some players that were a little uh, chatty on the ice. And, you know, we weren't, we were a chatty team, but we, I think, tried to back it up at all times. And, you know, that. Griba hit on Eller really set the tone for the series where it, it went, um, uh, I don't want to say it went sideways, but the intensity ramped up dramatically after that. After that game, because I wasn't playing in that game, I was scratched before that. Um, we went down to the room, you know, you're getting ready, you're staying in Montreal. Um, and it was actually the first and only time we've had, you know, the police come by the dressing room and say, hey, like, don't walk back to the hotel. Only wow. time that ever happened where they're like, I mean, I jazz it up a little bit but in my mind now and so I maybe made it bigger than it actually was the uh the thought was don't walk back to the hotel because you might get stabbed that was basically what they said because it's Montreal so you're probably going to get stabbed if you try to walk and they specifically said that like to Griba and then to me because I was big we both had a beard um we were actually roommates so we you know we don't look identical but similar-ish enough that it's like, you know, maybe don't want to walk back outside through a hotel, take a cab or wait for the team bus. And then the comments in the media, those all started uh, from Prust and from Armstrong. You know, it was, uh, it was nuts. And it was, it was funny after they happened, you know, we played, I started getting dressed in the lineup, things started to amp up like game two, um, still continue to amp up. And then we, you know, coming back to Ottawa, we had all the comments in the papers and Paul McLean called me into his office. And usually when that happens, it was more like, you know, you, you're getting told you're not in the lineup anymore for me, typically. <laughs> That's usually when I get called into the coach's office is, you know what, thanks, you played really well, but we're going, you know, someone else is going to play today. Um, but ba- Paul basically sat me down and he didn't tell me, but he, he well, he did tell me. You know, he looked with that over top of you know, glasses down the end of his nose, you know, kind of looking at the mustache quivering in the wind. And, um, and he just told me, he's like, Cass, you know, Armstrong or Press, if you get a chance to do it clean. And you just looked at me and nodded. And that's all he said. And I was just like, 
Guess this means Upset. I'm playing. That's a good thing. I'm still in the lineup. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we knew that it was going to be game three was going to be emotional, you know, a big moment in the series. I think it was that game three, whoever won that game, I think was going to win the series. Yeah. It was one, one at that point. It was one, one at that point, emotional emotions were running high. It, and, and I do truly believe that whoever won that game. And I think I thought that going in as well was going to win the series. And so when we started to take over that game, you know, emotions just ramped up and up and up and up. Um, and we, we <laughs> should mention as well, it was tied at one in going to the third period. It was a close game. It was a close game, and then we pulled away. Like, it was tight, and then we all of a sudden pulled away. And I can't remember if Price got hurt in that game. Or it the was the next, next game. It was the next game. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if he was still in that, that one or not. Uh, emotionally, you know, heading into the third, we start to pull away, and all of a sudden, you know, they, I think, um, started to lose their composure a little bit. Um, Safe to say. Yeah, and I think I think you could see that from the coaching staff down. And that's not necessarily a criticism, but I, you could just – they lost composure. And maybe that was because PK Subban had 25 penalty minutes in that third period. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he jumped Kyle Paris. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, uh, it is what it is. Um, and you're uh, watching that, at that point from the locker room, right? Cause this is after that the point, watching from the locker room. Everyone was watching and they're so just frustrated. Shaking, basically well, not frustrated, just amped. Like everyone yeah. was, <laughs> was trying to get back out. Wasn't the right word at that point. Everyone was, yeah. well, there was no room for frustration. It was yeah. all, it was all, you know, if we had things to smash, like if there was a car in the room, and we all had bats or sledgehammers, like we would have been just, you know, <laughs> smack. You're running through walls. Yeah, we would have been going, we were, we were, everyone was freaking out and going nuts in there. We'll get right back to Matt Cassian in a moment, but he mentioned running through a wall. Well, everyone has a wall they need to break through every single day, whether it's mental or physical. So what do you do when you wake up, when you feel that wall? You grab your built bar, go. Your built, go. It's not... Oh, man, from the people at Built Bar, they are introducing the Built Go. We got a couple sent to our place. I'm going to get to Pillsy's Pick of the Week in just a moment. But go to BuiltBar.com, and you can click on the tab. You can go check out all the flavors of Built Go. It's a protein powder. You throw it in. It's amazing. And it's 30% off right now. That's because the people at Built Bar want you to try Built Go because they know you'll love it and you'll keep coming back for more that's 30 percent off your built goes pillsy we need help here because it's a new product we need our pillsy's built go pick of the week built that's crazy 30 percent off this new product you guys are lucky giving it away and you're gonna love this nice classic flavor peanut butter honey and when you're going for built go what are you getting out of these it's an energy drink plus pre-workout, plus protein shake, all in one nice little gel pack. You rip it open and you just finish it off right there and you get all those combined attributes that you would get from having to drink those three normally separately, the pre-workout, the energy drink, and the protein shake. You get it all in one with Built Go. Try it, peanut butter, honey. Peanut butter, honey, man, I am craving that Built Go. Go to BuiltBar.com, literally 30% off. You can't get a better deal on the internet. That's because Built Bar and the Locked On Podcast Network have one of the best relationships. Same as the relationships between the Ottawa Senators and the 2020 NHL Draft. But before we talk about the draft rankings and once we have our Built Goes, it's time to get back to Matt Cassian. And I still to this, well, I, funny enough, actually, so I ran into um, 
you know, I do a lot of work with uh, on the non-TSN, just my normal everyday stuff um, with athletes now. And so the um, the CHL Top Prospects game was in Red Deer a couple years ago. And so I was out there to chat with some agents, chat with some of our clients, chat with some of our prospective clients. And um, I didn't realize that Colby Armstrong was uh, was there because he's you know working, uh, doing the TV gig now. Um, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen Colby since I uh, <laughs> we had that... Uh, dust up at center ice with uh, in the Montreal series so I you know went over to, to chat with him about it and right when he saw me he just started we just started both started laughing because the situation was just so crazy um, so to get into it like I didn't think that anything was going to happen off that face-off because you know uh, I think I was lined up across from Moen uh, maybe Armstrong I can't remember who was right across from me on the draw it was either Moen or Armstrong and it was you know, just Ryan. after a goal just after a goal, we had just scored, and that was really, I think, the you know where the the nail Four in the one. coffin type of goal. Yeah. So they realized that it was over, and um, we had all the momentum. We have last change, so they sent out their fourth line. Paul obviously responds by sending us out. Sends out uh, you know the big boys on D and in Cowan and um, Philly and Chris Phillips, Phillips. Uh, and uh, you know they send out their fourth line. Pressed with scratch that game, but of uh, Ryan White, Armstrong, and uh, and Moen. And I can't even remember. I always get mixed up who they had on D. Tenorti and Bouillon. Right. Bouillon was the other one. So they weren't, you know, it wasn't like they were small guys. You know, they were pretty scrappy, but they weren't on the same level, I don't think. Clearly. Where you have, you know, Zach Smith, who we could say like a light heavyweight, you know, would fight whoever if he needs to, really scrappy. Um, Chris Neal, who heavyweight fights heavyweights. Uh, me, do heavyweight fights heavyweights. And then Chris Phillips and Jared Cowan, who between them, you know, at six five about each, like two hundred thirty plus each, like our average height was like huge. <laughs> you put that line and that group of guys up against like five on five against anyone in the league in terms of you know an all out brawl. Like there, it would be tough to find a team that could put that type of group on the ice. So I have no idea what Ryan White was thinking. So I didn't think anything was going to happen at this point. I'm gonna like you know we're just gonna go out, gonna play, gonna have a normal shift. And, uh, you know, going on the forecheck because we lose the draw and just hear like a thunk, and then you just hear the crowd kind of uh, go like, uh, like, uh, and sometimes you hear kind of like the gasp from everyone. And so, you know, something happened. And for me, it's like I'm spinning and you're trying to figure out, like, assess the situation, like what happened, what is going on, like who is in danger, what needs to happen. And so I, so I turn and I see Zach Smith getting up. So I know he's okay because he's not just still lying there. So he's getting up. And you and guys starting to go at each other. And all this goes through my head at this point was like McLean's conversation where it's like Armstrong or Prust if you get a chance. And I knew Armstrong was on the ice. And I was like, and, you know, he had said clean. And he was very emphatic in that. And, again, I, I always glitz it up a little bit. He was, we just, the conversation with Paul, we talked about some of the comments in the paper and said like, you know, hey, if you get a chance to hit these guys, hit them clean, like make sure you hit them clean. Now, uh, you know, the adrenaline mode there you're thinking we're up three goals they clearly just did something they're going to get a penalty i probably can afford to take a penalty here and we're going to be okay so i'm like you got the green light i got the green light in that instant and and you know he makes those comments about our coach it's like you're when you're a family he's making that comment about you too right so you're not happy about the things they said in the paper you got it up at the board in the room so i went after armstrong now when i closed the distance on him he's a smaller guy than me um so i knew if anything you know he might try to turtle and might try to hold him tight if i do something so I want to create space. So I basically push him, cross-check him to create some distance so I can drop my gloves and grab him. And as I'm going to do that, Moen jumps on my back, who's promptly jumped on by Chris Neal, who's promptly jumped on by the linesman, and we go down in a pile. <laughs> 
Now, at the bottom of the pile, I'm thinking, I can't hit this guy. What can I, what can I do here? I do MMA in the off-season or, or used to do MMA in the off-season. So I'm thinking maybe I should try to choke this guy out. So he's, cause he's down here. I can't, he's like this, like curled up, which rightfully so, you know, he's not, he's not in my weight class. I, I don't like whatever. I, I get it. So I put him in a chokehold. Like I, I put him in a guillotine underneath and I'm trying, I am actually trying to choke him out. And all I can see is his little legs kicking. And the thought that actually went through my head was like, cause they made the comment about Paul being a bug eyed walrus. Like that was the comment. And I was like, well, maybe I'll turn him into a bug-eyed walrus. Like, and his eyes will pop out of his head if I choke <laughs> him out here enough. So I was trying to choke him out, but I didn't account for elbow pads and how there's foam here. So you couldn't really, you couldn't apply the same type of pressure. Uh, so it didn't work. Uh, he didn't get choked out. Eventually, the linesman got me off. But yeah, the I can't remember what the actual decibel level was in terms of if they measured it in that building. But I don't think I've ever heard a building so loud and I don't know if I've ever had that much adrenaline in a moment like afterwards and and oh man it was everyone was just going nuts you're going nuts going off the ice in the dressing room and everyone's like yelling and chest bumping and just going nuts again <laughs> knowing that we probably won four or five out of the fights you know five fights that were on the ice yeah don't be and generous that was five for five I was, I'm pretty sure it was five for five it was just yeah, I think that is where we won the series. You know, we were up a couple goals and it was like, not only did we beat you on the scoreboard, but we just actually physically beat you into the ground. Um, you know, you, you initiated this. It wasn't like we went out looking for it, but you started it and we, we finished it. And I think the series was just over at that point. You know, they had to push back the next game with the OT game, but uh, I think then we just, we knew. You guys that are that still was, pesky though. Conacher ties it. it up late. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like I was at the game in game four as well. I want to get back to game three, but Coming out and seeing Budai come out for overtime, I was like, the series is, the series yeah, is over. Yeah, it was done. Um, which I think which I, one of the five fights was the biggest victory for you guys? I think it's either oh, you or Colby or... Um, I, I mean, mine, I, it wasn't even so much a fight. Like, it was because we both went yeah. down and I was trying, again, I was trying to choke him out. Like, I didn't even get to punch the guy. Like, I just, I literally tried to leave him unconscious on the ice. Like, to choke him out, I'm like, if I leave him here and he's just laying there unconscious, like, that's perfect. I didn't think of the repercussions. I probably would have been suspended, most likely for a long time, like... And then you wouldn't have been able to pot two apples in game five. <laughs> the next game. Or game five, yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah. And it was funny because we, we laughed about that and about the chokehold because he, he actually, Colby, like when to go back to being in Red Deer, someone had just sent him the week before like a photo of me going off the ice, like going like this. I posted that on our Twitter yeah, this morning. What it's a, a photo. Great, it's a beautiful photo. Like for me, it's one of my favorites that I have for my career. Like just a, just a reminder of, of what an amazing moment that was. And that's what Colby and I were laughing about because he's like, man, you guys just kicked the snot out of us. And you were trying to choke me out. We were both laughing about that because it didn't work. Yeah, it, uh, it was um, pretty magical in a lot of ways. Not that, you know, it's, it's good to go and try and choke people out and whatever with the fights. But, you know, the emotion, I think, from the team and from the city at that time was, um, it was magical. It was a lot of fun, especially against Montreal and, and getting a chance to beat them. And what was um, the what was the feeling in the locker room like after you have a twenty year old French kid on your team who gets a hat trick against no. the team he grew up for like that's yeah, amazing and, and and the crowd just going absolutely nuts over that and the chants and you just you hear all that from the room like that's one thing with the the dressing room there is where it is it's right underneath the stand so when everyone thinks really loud you can you can hear everything that they're saying like not specific but if someone's chanting something like you're you're hearing it. And mocking um, the Habs' own Olay chant as well. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. 
unbelievable. It, 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 the the emotion again, as I said in the room, if you would have put a car in there, like we would have been smashing the thing, like kicking over garbage cans and throwing them, like not out of being upset or frustration, but just out of like sheer like we need an outlet for all this adrenaline and the craziness that's going on. Uh, yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. Like it, it took a while, I think for the buzz to come down because uh, you're just, you're so just so jazzed up. Um, and the fans were too. And that, that made it, you know, that gets you even more jazzed up. Like just hearing the, the noise and the level, it was, uh, it was off the charts and, and unbelievable and so much fun. And then Paul McLean calls a timeout too, going to the power play up six one at the end yep. of the game, and just there's classic. Just so, much, so much between the whistles that yep. happen. It, that's what makes it just so amazing. I want to end with this because you started with after your first game, Alfie's post game comments, which is amazing. What was Alfie like after that game three? You know what? It, he was he was steady, so calm, cool, and collected. Yeah. Eh? If if there's one thing that Alfie was, which he was a lot of things. You know, I was a little disappointed for him. Like, I want to, in my opinion, just maybe just from playing with him, you know, I want to see him go, go into the hall here at some oh, point. Oh, yeah. We're, um, we're on that train. I, I actually, yeah. I live two blocks from the Hall of Fame. I, I went for a walk two, two blocks around, and I did a lap wearing my Alfie jersey on, on induction day. But yeah. next year's the year. Next, next year. year. Yeah, um, more yeah, generally, was, too. What was it like playing with Alfie? You know what? I, I have an incredible amount of respect for him, both as, a, as an athlete and as a, as a person. Um, you know, I, people ask me that sometimes, and I say everything that you could imagine he was, I, I think he was, in, in my opinion. He was classy. He led by example, but he also was. There's, there's some guys that, you know, they lead by example, but they don't really know what to say in the room. And there's some guys that know what to say in the room, but then they don't have the capacity or the ability to go out and to do it on the ice. And Alfie had both. He was a player that I don't think ever would ask anybody to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. And, and so it was, you know, if he talked, you listen. And um, yeah, steady is a, is a great word to describe him. Um, you know, he wasn't steady in that, you know, he was just methodical on the ice. Uh, you know, he was passionate and fiery when he played. But emotionally, in the dressing room, and um, um, you know, in, in moments like the playoff series, like he was, he was steady. Just a, a phenomenal human, a phenomenal athlete. Uh, was a, was a pleasure that I that I got a chance to play with him. Yeah, we love hearing the Alfie stories, and uh, pretty much anyone we talk to says the same things as you. So that's incredible to hear. So yeah. from one Sens legend in Alfie to another, I I got to hear your take on Chris Neal. Like, what are some <laughs> stories you have from that guy? I'm sure your one word to describe Chris Neal won't be steady. Let's, <laughs> no, uh, not let's steady. hear what you got. You know there. what? I I love Chris. You know, we were we sat beside each other my entire time there. Got along really well. He was uh, he was a great guy. Always treated me extremely well. Um, <laughs> I remember one of my first days. Uh, so him and goaltending coach at the time, Rick Walmsley, didn't like each other that much. They they had, there was some friction between the two, and I don't know where it started. But one of my first practices as a senator, I was you know one of the first guys on the I was a bubble guy in and out of the lineup. Always knew knew that I was a role playing type player. So I was always one of the first guys on the ice because I knew that you know I needed to be. And, uh, um, you know, Wamsley was out there doing some goalie drills with, uh, with uh, I can't remember who he was doing them with, whether it was with Anderson or with, um, you know, we had both had Bishop and Leonard at the time. I don't know which He's one. Like, he, whatever. I, I don't know who was on the ice, but he was doing that. And um, Wamsley would always get mad because Neil would be on the ice first and he'd go take a whole bunch of the pucks that they were using. And they would always just be back and forth. And I learned this later, I guess. I didn't know this at the time, but they were like had a constant bickering about that. And uh, so Neil went and um, 
like got the pucks and I think uh, Wamsley like slashed his stick to get the puck away from it. And so Neil Wamsley <laughs> was in the corner. And so Neil, like they started going back and forth, like yelling at each other. And I'm trying to figure out like, like what's, what's going on. And then Neil went and he gave him a bump. Like he skated by him and gave him a pretty good shot. Like he was right next to the wall. It wasn't enough to like knock him over. And Wamsley's got to be like, fit. He's got to be 50. At the, at, this point? at the time, absolutely. And he gave him a little shot. Like he gave him, like he gave him, just like gave him a little, like it wasn't, wasn't massive. It wasn't like he took a big run in him, but like he gave him a little, like a, a like a good little push and Wamsley you know, kind of stumbles back a little bit into the wall. And I was just stepping onto the ice and just saw this happen. I was like, what is going on right now? I couldn't. Uh, and you got to decide whose side to take. Do you defend the goalie coach and go oh, up against Neil or do you leave you it alone? Pretend. For me, it was like, I didn't see anything. Yep. Like, I didn't, yeah, <laughs> I didn't see anything. I, they, they had to hash it out. I'm fairly sure they had to have some conversations with the rest of the staff after that point. Um, but yeah, that was like my first impression of Chris Neal. Um, um, now that being said again, like he, uh, he was always really good to me and we got along well and, um, I know just even from my time, like towards the end of Chris's time there, from from when I was there to when I left and even conversations later was, I think there was a lot of players that saw a lot of personal and leadership development from him the last couple of years where he, um, not that he, he needed to grow up when I was there, but he um, he matured in a lot of ways um, in the dressing room and in um, being a leader and in speaking into the, um, I'll just call it the lives of, of some of the younger guys. And yeah, so he, you know, again, he was great to me. Uh, you know, he had a, he had a temper, which, which came out sometimes. I think we all saw that. Um, but it was driven from a place of, of caring, um, and passion, which was, which was always, you know, you, you don't want to, um, it always say it's, it's much harder to put that into someone, into a player than it is to try to temper it a little bit. Um, and he was a guy you had to temper it, I think, and coaching staffs had to temper it at times, but, uh, but yeah, good teammates and, uh, a lot of fun to watch. You know, he was a, he was a player that you knew, you know, he had the capacity to change a game from a momentum standpoint with a hit or a fight. And so it was, was fun with that regard. Um, you know, I always knew that he had my back out there if I needed it. So that was another, another valuable thing for him. So I'm sure that you can also appreciate a guy playing the style he did over a thousand yep. games with the same team. Really hard to do. It's insane. Yeah, really um, hard to do. Man, I feel like we could get, have story time with the cast assassin for years. Like, Really appreciate you joining us. It's been awesome having you on. Are you still doing some work with uh, with TSN out there uh, in Edmonton? Still doing it. Yeah, awesome. still doing it. Uh, a little bit tougher because the Oilers lost right away in the playoffs and with COVID. I, I cover so. the Leafs at TSN 1050, so we yeah, hold it out right away too. Same thing. So, uh, yeah, with TSN, I'll do the pre and the post game show for the Oilers. Not not the full thing. I'll just go on as an analyst for a segment or two. So do that when normally the season happens and is playing. Um, and do that. I just, I have a lot of fun doing it. I enjoy it. It keeps me involved in the game, uh, which is, which is what I like to do. And then uh, you do a podcast with a couple of the other TSN guys here in the city as well called two guys and a goalie, which is fun. Same thing. Like we just, it's fun to watch and to talk about it. So it's basically people that we were talking about it anyway. So we decided just to record it. Uh, so, um, you know, that's going well. And then you know, the whole normal job work life stuff, but uh, yeah, TSN stuff's fun. That's awesome. Well, we'd love to have you back on the show. Maybe as we figure out what next year is going to look like, maybe our Oilers insider here on the Locked On Senators podcast. But your time in Ottawa it was short, but it was sweet, very memorable. And like I said, we really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ross and Brandon, too. You guys are doing a great job. And yeah, thanks for having me. So hard to pick a favorite from Cassian's stories. Like even in part one, we got into Alfie's post game speech. 
when the Cassins assassins in, we always win. That gave me goosebumps. The inner the uh, meeting one on one with Paul McLean. That was an awesome piece of insight. The fact that he literally tried to squeeze Colby Armstrong's eyes out of his socket. That was awesome. Like, what was your favorite part of that interview? Well, talking about Colby Armstrong, I just think it's so hockey guys are so funny. Like he literally said, I was trying to choke him out and leave him unconscious on the ice. And then he's like, Oh yeah, I met up with Colby a couple years ago. We had a laugh about it. Well, what? he said the same about he said the same about Fraser McLaren. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm Colby and I'm seeing if I'm Colby and I'm seeing Matt Cassian come up to me later, I'm turtling right away. Like I'm getting out of there. I'm not shaking the guy's hand and having a laugh with him. Oh, I can't wait till the Sens are back in the postseason. That's where the real memories, the real highlights are made. But to do that, you have to win the draft. So without further ado, let's get back to our Sens Central draft rankings coming in at number eight with an average ranking of 7.33, the Swedish sniper Alexander Holtz. The other side of the the twin, what are they, the Terror Twins? The Terror Twins, Raymond and Holtz. And man... This guy can rain some terror on teams if he gets the chance. EP has him as the best shot in the draft. And when you watch some highlights of this guy, you can really tell that that's his bread and butter is that that shot. Like he's a pure goal scorer. And But with pure goal scoring comes a couple of negatives. And you can really notice that he barely contributes to the play away from the puck in his own zone. Um, he, he gets his team when he's on the ice, a lot of shots against will scouch talks about it in his video. And the biggest downplay I can really find about this guy is when you're a pure sniper, you need to be getting in those high danger zones. Like scouch talks about it. He says most of his shots are from low danger zones. And if you go to EP's draft guide, they have a shot chart and you can see for yourself, he doesn't often get in those high danger areas. Mind you. When you're a 17-year-old kid playing in a men's league, that's going to happen. Guys like um, Jack Quinn, Seth Jarvis, they're playing in the OHL. It's much easier to get into those uh, high-danger zones. There's less size, smaller less ice skill. Too. Yeah, smaller ice. That's a great point too, actually, Ross. And so I'm just a little bit worried that once he gets to the NHL level, he's going to be too used to and too comfortable just shooting from those low-danger zones. And that's not going to fool goalies at the NHL level, at the highest compete level. So that's a concern of mine. How about you, Ross? How do you see the, the second Terror Twin? I just think that he needs a playmaker to yep. facilitate for him. That's why, and we'll get into our mock draft coming up on Monday. We do the entire first round, actually through pick 33, so that the Sens have four of the 33 picks, if you were uh, wondering how we the, start the draft's going to go. Yeah, exactly, and you know that I already have the jersey of the guy we pick at 33, but I'll save most of it. I will say that I see Buffalo as the perfect landing spot for him because Jack Eichel's been clamoring for a winger. Why not have a guy who's already playing pro who you think if he steps into the NHL playing next to Jack Eichel, I would put money that he scores over 30 goals as a rookie. If if Kubelik can do it as a bit older of a guy playing with good players, this guy's shot and I, I think you undersold it a little bit because yes, he played against men and he still scored nine goals in 35 games last year. If you On go fourth back line minutes, you go back to him playing junior a, as a 16-year-old, he had 30 goals in 38 games. Not points, 30 goals in 38 games. You go back to him playing under 18 as a 16-year-old, 18 goals in 13 games. Like You go up to all of his youth, he has more goals than games. Absurd. You just don't see that very often. Like 12 and 13, 23 and 17, 
18 and 13, 30 and 38. This guy is an absolute sniper. He just needs to go to a situation where there's a playmaker begging for a score to play with him. Definitely. And that's the kind of the point I was trying to make. Like it, it seems bad on paper, but when he's playing at his age level, like you described, he's lighting it up. So the, the skill is there. Do you see him as a bit of a comparable, not in size or frame, but a bit of like the style of Patrick Laine? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, Line A, what were his knocks when he first came into the league? If he's not scoring goals, he's doing literally nothing. And I feel like that's what Holtz is like a little bit. Now, Scouch did say that um, in his own zone, Holtz isn't that great. But if Holtz has the puck and loses it, he works very hard to get it back, which I mean, when you're an offensive minded guy, that's how your brain works. You want that puck, you want to score. So that's good that he has that drive there. But I don't like the rest of his game. And I think he's going to be too drawn to just being a pure goal scorer, which is fine if that's what you're looking for in a player. But I think other guys who are, have great shots in this draft do better in other areas of the game where he's still learning. But yeah, I think get him on a power play with Jack Eichel, whew, look out. I think that's the only thing, his play in his own zone is what's keeping him from being a top five pick. He's got arguably, and Jack Quinn's right up there too, but the best shot in the draft. He's unbelievable and just watch his highlights like his release is ridiculous button is the main reason why his ranking slid down he's ranked sixth by wheeler pronman and the ep draft guide cam robinson has him at four and cam robinson is a bit of a card with his rankings he's the one who has byfield at number one uh over lafreniere so a little bit of a head scratcher there bob mckenzie has him at ninth and then button all the way down at 13 so interesting to note as well that it's button and mckenzie the two who speak to scouts the most that have him a little bit lower on the ranking. So that's Alexander Holtz. He comes in at number eight on our Send Central draft rankings. We move to seven. It's the top D coming in with a draft ranking average of 6.2. Jamie Drysdale from the Erie Otters. Do you see him as a better defenseman than Jake Sanderson going forward? I would say no, Ross. Jake Sanderson is the better defenseman all around. I mean, geez, we, the amount of awards that EP gave him, just his overall game is so incredible. He's a mature, responsible defenseman that can chip, it, chip in offensively. But if you're looking for a number one right shot offensive defenseman, you can't do any better than Jamie Drysdale. EP has given him a bunch of awards. Here's what he, here's what he got. Best four-way mobility second best straight line skater, second best transitional defenseman, and second best offensive defenseman. Now, Doesn't sound like Mr. Metals though. Yeah, it's not, it's not quite as much as Mr. Metals. Now, he's second best offensive defenseman. I think they gave that award to Jeremy Poirier, but I think Jamie Drysdale has a better overall game. So he's only a little bit behind Poirier there and Geez, 47 points in 49 games for a D-man this year. Like, that is incredible. If teams are going to be so, so excited if they have a chance to draft this guy because you can slot him in as a number one right shot offensive defenseman. You can't get those anywhere except the draft. Like, you can't trade for them. You can't sign them. That's where you have to get these guys. And Jamie Drysdale is going to make a team really, really happy. Where do you think is the perfect landing spot for him? Do you think that the Sens could really take him at five? We haven't heard I his name in, the, in that conversation at all. Definitely, he's an option for the Senators at five. But I don't know if you're the Senators and we talk about it. If you're Pierre Dorian, how do you get past a safe defenseman who's good all, all 
all over the ice. He's going to be playing at UND with JBD, and he's a legacy kid. Like, I don't – that's that's too much for Pierre Dorian to pass on. So I don't see – unless things go off the rails here and Sanderson's gone and Drysdale's still available at five, I don't see them going the Drysdale over Sanderson route. No, nor, neither do I, but he is a very good defenseman, and he showed the ability to ad- adapt because when he made Team Canada at the World Juniors, it was as the seventh defenseman, maybe a bit of power play time. You know internationally you can dress an extra defenseman and forward for that sake, but he worked his way up into a top-four role, and he scored some important uh, maybe tip plays, but he was very confident in towing the line as an underager, one of the only guys wearing a cage on Team Canada, him and Quinton Byfield. I think, although I think Byfield had the fishbowl, talk about irrelevant stats. Um, but Drysdale, just so confident, calm, with the puck on his stick. And he is going to be an awesome QB1 on a power play. And just facilitating, has one of those accurate shots. Not the hardest shot, but it's accurate. It finds seams in the offensive zone. He's an awesome defenseman. There's no doubting that. And what I like about his shot too, Ross, I wouldn't say he's like a goal-scoring defenseman, but he's not afraid just to get pucks on net. And when you're a defenseman and there's screens and guys in front, tips, deflections, bounces, rebounds, the scoring opportunities you're creating by just getting that shot on net is so good for your team. And not only does he get a lot of shot attempts, He's an extremely strong passer. Like this is a guy who's going to start your transitions and he's a dual threat transition guy. He's a very good skater or he can make that perfect pass to start the play for your breakout. Chris Hartsburg, who's the head coach with the Erie Otters, this is what he has to say about Drysdale. He's great at making plays. He thinks the game very well. His feet are dynamic. I lose track of how many times he leads the attack and is the first man back because of his skating ability. He is just as good defensively as he is offensively, which is high praise because we, we're touting him as an offensive defenseman. You know what? If he hits his ceiling, here's my comparable. Like, this is absolute ceiling, but a Drew Doughty-style defenseman. 40 yeah. points, 50 points, maybe even 60, but is still killing penalties, still out there late in the game. It's his agility, not his speed, that makes him so dynamic as a skater. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Ross. Like, the, this guy has the potential to be a Norris caliber number one defenseman for sure. And you talk about uh, a couple attributes of his game. He, he does a really good job of defensively. His gap control is good. His stick he, is unreal. Yep, he does a good job of keeping that stick out there and not letting guys get around him very well. He's good on his edges. I just think that whoever decides to take a, take a high pick on Jamie Drysdale is going to be happy with it in years to come. They're going to be extremely happy. And for that reason, all the scouts on ours had him in the top eight. Wheeler, the lowest on him, number eight. Button, five. EP Draft Guide, five. And Bob McKenzie as the number four prospect in the draft. Let's move to number six, Cole Perfetti. Man, it, it, does he have the best mitts in the draft? Like this guy can stick handle through a phone booth. Absolutely. I think I think Dawson Mercer may have him beat there. And EP, Stutzla as well. Yeah, Stutzla's right there too. EP has, uh, has him ahead of him. But here's the EP awards. Third best shot. So we just talked about Holtz. So he's right up there with Holtz. Second best problem solving skills. So for you to have such a good shot and good problem solving skills, you know what that makes you? A good dual threat offensive guy. This guy can shoot and pass at any given moment and he chooses which play is the correct play. Like you're not going to see him try to force a pass through a defender on a two-on-one. Why bother? When you have the third best shot in the draft, just rip it top shelf. Like Cole Perfetti is an absolute beauty of a player. 74 points in 63 games as a rookie. 
How about following that up with 111 in 61 games this season? This guy, he gets points for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think he's going to be an absolute beauty pick for the Red Wings at number four. Yeah, exactly. You don't get 74 assists in 61 games without being an incredible passer and having elite vision. Only eight games without a point. How about that? Wow. Well, I mean, makes sense. Yeah, 111 points. And in that case, you need multi-point games as well. He had three or more points 15 separate times during this past season. So when he gets on a roll, wow. However... He's not NHL ready. He will go back for one more year. Dominate at the World Juniors is, is what I'm thinking as well. But how's this for a player comparable? A little bit of Nugent Hopkins in his game. Yeah, definitely Nugent Hopkins. And uh, I think that's, that's a guy you can safely compare him to. But his ceiling is you're looking at a Braden Point. And we talked about it, Ross. Yep. Stevie Wise, the guy who drafted Braden Point, got a steal of a draft pick. And I would be shocked if the Red Wings didn't go Perfetti here. And yeah, let's, let's talk about more points. He had a record-setting 12 points at the Holinka Gretzky tournament. And what I like about Rossi, Perfetti, sorry, he stays calm under pressure. When he's in the offensive zone, you see a lot of centermen just kind of following the puck and being that extra guy trying to win those puck battles. What Perfetti does is he floats around the offensive zone and then he waits for a point of weakness and then inserts himself in, which is good because then he's also keeping himself open if that winger does win that puck battle and then he's open for a shot on net. Perfetti, the options that you have with this guy are just, they're endless. He's going to be an absolutely amazing top line player one day. What's uh, wing wheel this all the way in to Detroit? How perfect would he be on line with Anthony Mantha, who has that finishing ability? He would just fit so well. Throw Larkin at center. Like, Stevie, you can't pass up Cole Perfetti. You just can't because I want Lucas Raymond to be an Ottawa senator. Mm -hmm. But, no, in all seriousness, he's a very, very good choice at number four. And if the Sens took him at five, there's absolutely no problem with that at all. How cool is it that in the OHL, yeah, Marco Rossi finished first in scoring? But you had a draft-eligible finish 1-2 because Cole Perfetti was right there behind Marco Rossi in OHL scoring. He's a pass and shooting threat. His skating is the one thing that is not elite. That might be why he projects more as a left wing than at center at the NHL level. But Bob McKenzie, who has him ranked fifth, he put it so casually. Elite shot, elite sense, elite skill, say no more. What what else can you say there? So Cole Perfetti, he's gonna make he's gonna be making the hour forty three drive from Saginaw right down to Detroit. He sure will, Stevie. If you're listening, make sure to go up there quick because the stress between pick three and five might be too much for us Sens fans. So now we have ranked from ninety three down to six. So feel free to go back and listen to the end of every single episode over the past. Two months. We've done 29 in the last 32 days. So we are your daily spot for Sens News going up to the draft. Pilsy, it's been a fun ride and it's going to keep getting better as we're less than four days away now until the big day. We, we are not kidding around here. Your team every day, we're taking that seriously. And every day you guys wake up, you can know the Locked On Centers podcast is going to be recording because we are just so fired up for this draft. And I don't know what's more exciting, Ross, leading up to the draft or after the draft when we know all the guys we have and we can break down these guys. And all you love all those draft uh, prospect expert guests we had on the show to describe all these possible picks. We're going to get most, if not all those guys, back on to break down the newest Ottawa Senators collection here. Oh, yeah. From pick three all the way until the final pick. 
that the Sens choose in the sixth round. So you can turn it off after round six because there are no seventh rounders. We decided to just get all the picks away in the top three rounds instead and then a couple in rounds five and, and I think two in, in round six as well. So the Ottawa Senators, they control the draft. And if you think that the draft is all going on in Sens land, man, you're sorely mistaken because they have nine players signed and $23 million to get to the floor so there is going to be tons of player movement. Pierre Dorian, the busiest man in hockey, and we're not far behind. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.